Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Here's what I believe. If you hadn't figured out our approach and method, it's this. I fully believe that Jesus was telling us the truth when he said, my sheep know my voice and follow me. My approach is to help you adopt your sheephood. My approach is to constantly persuade you that you are a sheep, that you are one of his, that you belong to him. You are in his flock and you are in his fold because I happen to believe that in that environment, in other words, the more you know who you are in Christ, the more your heart will be open to him to follow him, right? I mean, we all know to stay out of sin, right? I don't need to stand here and beat you up. I'm I'm thankful I didn't grow up in church because I know that there is kind of this mindset that you feel like the service was really good if you got your toes stepped on. Apparently, that was a popular phrase. I well, I really, preacher really stepped on my toes today. You ever said that? I think I'm glad I didn't go through that. Aren't you jealous? <laughs> and it's not that we want to paint a marshmallow and fluffy rainbows in the sky that everything's just going to work out and perf- be perfect and you're never going to go through difficulty, but it's like, my goodness, you should come to church and hear good news about who the Lord is, about what He's done and who you are in Him, because out there it's tough enough. You really need to come in here and get beat up? I don't think so. I want you to know who you are so that when you're out there and temptation comes, you're not thinking about how worthless you are because of the sermon that you heard, so you may as well just go ahead and give in to it. I want you to think, you know what? No, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have been given a state before the Father that is stronger than this situation to make a mistake and blow it. Now, I I am not the kind of person that gives in to the same old stuff that I struggled with over and over and over again. You know, You, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you might sometimes commit acts of sin, but that's not the context of the relationship of how he's treating you right now. It's the scandalousness of grace. Amen. And again, I'm telling you, you preach this stuff. If you preach the gospel, you're going to have people, usually religious people, ask you, well, what about sin? Are you saying It's like, have you never read the book of Romans? I mean, honestly, I know I've made that joke three times a day. Lyle's still laughing, so, you know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, you know what? Maybe my lightning quick mind is recognizing that that's actually a prophetic word for somebody today. You're struggling with this. Maybe this message is relatively new for you. And what I mean by this message is that you're complete in Christ. You know, in your spirit, you have been perfected by the work of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. And it's like you're trying to sort it all out. And I appreciate that, and you should. Go read Romans 6 this week because that's what happened when Paul preached the gospel. The questions by the religious people were, that kind of sounds like you're saying that you can just deal with, you can just, it doesn't really matter. It's like, What? That's weird. We're talking about a spiritual identity and you're talking about sin? You know, to the religious mind, righteousness and sin are directly connected. But to the person that understands the effects of the cross, righteousness is a state of existence, your spiritual identity before the Father. Sin is that stuff down in the world that you might still stumble on if you want to. Do you you know why you still choose to sin? Because you like it. You don't do stuff that you don't like. Moon, I don't want to smoke crack. It's bad for me. (laughs) Now, not all of you are tempted to smoke crack. But the people that are tempted to smoke crack, you know what I'm saying? It's like you only do it because you want to do it. You might hate it, but you're getting something out of it. Whatever your pet sin is, whatever your favorite sin is, that thing that easily causes you to stumble... You're getting something out of it. That's why you're tempted to do it. It's not your nature any longer. 
I'm just kind of opening up the whole can right off the bat, aren't I? There's worms everywhere. Because he's changed you. I'm so glad to look over. I've been trying not to distract myself, but I'm just glad to see y'all sitting over there. So let's just kind of meander through a few passages. You know, today I do want to focus on the death of Christ, the cross of Christ. Uh, If you're new to us, I did a series just a few weeks back where we just walked through Isaiah 53. Um, We'll make sure that that series, is Adam in here? Would Stacy, will you remind him? Um, can I give you a job? She's not, is this, yes, is this okay? Okay, I'm giving you a job. Would you ask him to put the link to the, that series in the email this week? So if you want to go back and, and really look at Isaiah 53 and then even into the new about where we talked about what happened on the cross, go back and review that. I'll give you some homework to listen to a sermon or two this week. But today I just wanted to walk through some ideas about the body of Christ and what happened on that cross. We need to be super sharp in communicating the gospel, beginning with him becoming our sin. And it, it's, it, people, people miss it. It's really one of the most fundamental aspects. And most believers are aware of the concept but don't understand the full effect of what that means. So let's walk through this. Y'all good? All right, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and this is just so powerful to me. And by the way, all of these passages today are in the Berean Study Bible. It's kind of a newer translation, but there's a lot of of good um, academic research that went into it, so I'm really enjoying it. But you can find it on biblehub.com if you struggle with finding that translation. How many of you are like, Translation nerds, you like finding different terms? Two of you, all right. The rest of y'all need to read your Bible. (laughs) God made him. God made, man, this is, when I start reading about the cross, I I just have to slow down to another gear because you just have to sit within it and think about it and meditate on it, right? I mean, right off the bat, God is the one that made him to be sin. You know, because there's this kind of concept out there, maybe you haven't come across it, uh, of this idea of of the cross called Christus Victor, meaning that Jesus was not punished, meaning that uh, that, that God did not punish Jesus on the cross, that Jesus was up there and absorbed all of the world's judgment and the effects of sin out of the world, but it wasn't the, fa- the Father wasn't involved. And it's an overreaction to the idea of, the, of God needing to kill something to satisfy His anger, which is not why Christ was sacrificed. If you have this idea of a Greek mythological God or even older, a Babylonian, you know, pre, right after the flood, those weird gods and kings that had set themselves up and... You know, even Abraham was called out of that type of worship uh, of those beings back then. That they, those gods were presented as they needed blood to satisfy their anger. And so a lot of people see God as that way. So we're going to just kind of walk through some of those things. God didn't need to kill somebody to satisfy his anger. The real thing that happened is there needed to be an exchanging of life, and the life is in the blood. So blood needed to be spilt. There is no remission of sin without blood. He was angry towards sin, but he didn't kill Jesus in a fit of rage. It was more about this transfer. It was more about mankind had been separated from the capacity to enter into that spiritual life, that eternal life, that presence of God, so it had to be bridged. And because mankind had dominion over this planet, it had to be in the body of a human to do the work to rebridge that gap. So that's what most of these passages are here today. And this is a, a reference back to the Old Testament sacrifices. You can read Leviticus. Um, it's a great read. Actually, I, I, I love reading Leviticus, but it can be a little grueling. But you go through and you see the depth to which, under the old sacrificial system, God detailed how the sacrifices should be presented and what they were for. And and if you understand that that's all a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do, 
then you read through those things and you recognize, man, so much he accomplished on that cross. So much he accomplished on that cross. And it was an exchange. It wasn't God needing to kill something. God's not into child sacrifice like those other gods. In fact, that's why he did it different with Abraham. You know, Abraham was used to his dad in the, you know, worshiping Nimrod. Man, I'm just going deep today, aren't I? My brain's like, y'all good? Am I on too many tracks at one time? Anyway, I think you get the point. In Abraham, in asking him to sacrifice Isaac and then providing himself a lamb instead of him sacrificing his son, he forever changed the context of, I'm not like one of these ancient demon Babylonian gods. I myself provide the lamb. So God on that cross made him, made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. Be, say be. Now, it wasn't like he just put sin on him. He put it in him. He became sin. In effect, he exchanged natures with you. He took on human nature. He was perfect. Why did he do that? Because it would have been illegal to punish the righteous person. So he actually had to exchange natures with Jesus. And he exchanged natures with us. For those who will enter through his body, receive his nature. He's made us great and precious promises that we would be partakers of his divine nature. Partakers of his divine nature. Now, that doesn't mean you're a God. You're not going to become a God. It just means God has done a work within you through the blood of Christ that changes you that makes you able to be in the presence of God, guilt-free apart from your works and your effort, and it's purely by a gift. And I pray that we all live in a way that honors that. Amen? But don't forget it. And don't you dare let somebody make you question your salvation when it's only found in the blood of Christ. I'm just thinking of some conversations I've had recently. Maybe we'll have some time to kind of illuminate that. God, I'm on the first scripture. We're reading like the whole Bible today. <laughs> My goodness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's just incredibly powerful. I mean, we could really just stop there, but we won't. Let's keep going. Romans 8.1, a few, a few passages out of Romans 8. Uh, let's see, I think it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about the idea of spiritual mindfulness, and we did this exercise just walking through Romans 8, citing spiritual truth as a way to hold in your mind to develop spiritual mindfulness. Becoming spiritually minded doesn't mean that you figure out some way to mystically pop over into the spirit and have these weird phenomenal experiences. Being spiritually minded is in this body... You acknowledge what's true of the Spirit in you and you in Him. And one of those is you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Romans 8, 1, uh, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? There's no condemnation. There's no need to be afraid of God. God's not looking for a reason to cast you out. Let's keep going. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the flesh, God did, say God did, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man. Man, that's a whole sermon right there. That's about a month's worth of sermons, Jesus in the flesh. The, the Antichrist spirit denies that Jesus came in the flesh. That's, that doesn't mean that it denies that he existed. It denies that he came as a human. To deny that Jesus was a man, he was fully God, fully man, I'm not trying to take it that, but the fact that he was a man, tempted, like in all ways, like we are, yet without sin, he could have. You know, he, what he did, he did it as a human, which is incredibly powerful, full of the Holy Spirit, which is the same state that we're in. 
Um, so God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man or sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He thus condemned sin in the flesh and condemned sin in the flesh. So just that phrase here, you tie this together. He condemned, so God condemned sin in the flesh. What flesh? Jesus' flesh. It's a tie back to this. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. And, an, and another facet of it is he condemned sin in the flesh. You cannot take the punishment of God for your sin. You can't stand it. But Jesus could. You know, under the old covenant, the sacrifice had to be in the proper state. You would bring your sacrifice. The priest would inspect it and he would look and make sure it was spotless enough and make sure it was worthy to, to temporarily pay for your sin. Jesus was examined and found worthy to be that sacrifice, to be that exchange. And so on that cross, God condemned your condemnation was put into him. Now, you guys probably know this. This might be review for you, but there are people in your life that don't know this. They don't know the depth of which it's accurate and true for them because people are out there running around thinking that every bad thing that happens in their life, God's you know, somehow crafting some kind of difficulty to bring them closer to Him. And it's like, no, God's not tweaking your life to make you more holy or righteous or closer to Him through circumstances. He condemned sin in the flesh so that He could lead you by His Spirit inwardly. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? All right, so Romans 8, 4. So why did He condemn sin in the flesh? So that the righteous standard of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's not a statement of behavior. That's a statement of what type of being you are. In other words, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean walking sinlessly. I'm not advocating for sin. I'm just trying to remove that performance-mindedness that thinks that you start in the Spirit and finish in the flesh. Let's go to the next one here, 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Man, I'm telling you, there's, I, picked some, I picked some light ones here. You can write a doctrinal thesis on these. The fact that he was the sin offering for the entire world the entire, and so that puts you now in the position to go into the world, like 2 Corinthians 5 says. Go into the world and tell people, God is not holding your sin against you. Be reconciled to God. We have to just detach this idea of sin affecting our righteousness. I, I know I'm hitting that a little bit stronger today than I might normally, but I just feel like some of us need to hear that. And I, it's like I might need to get some spray paint. Read Romans 6. <laughs> some of you may not know exactly what that reference is. That's all right. You're not any less of a Christian if you don't. But it just addresses Paul when he's confronted by the religious leaders of the day. And they're like, well, you're saying sin is kind of... It sounds like permissiveness to me, Paul. And, and his answer. So those creep, those thoughts that creep up, Maybe even the conversations that you might have with people that kind of when you start to really focus on faith righteousness, they're going to, these questions are kind of, if you preach the gospel properly, a religious person should ask you, well, it kind of sounds like you're saying that we can just sin and get away with it. And that reveals their thinking about it. All right, let's keep going. Jesus said it this way. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, and so we have this concept of the body of Jesus being the veil through which we enter in. Under the old covenant, there was a whole structure, a temple set up, and there was a veil out there that you had to, the priests could only go in to offer the sacrifices. They had to, you know, offer the sacrifices the right way with the blood, never without blood. 
to be able to go into the presence of God. And it's an example and an illustration that through the body of Christ, you enter into the presence of God. And once you enter into it and He enters into you, it's the promise of the new covenant that He would give you a new heart, put His Spirit within you. It's in there. You don't come and go from the presence of God. You're not in an old covenant setting where the presence of God comes upon you and anoints you for a specific task and then lifts off of you. The anointing is in you. Say, it's in me. And it abides in you. God does not lift off His hand as if His presence goes away. Now, you might live in such a way where your mind becomes darkened toward Him, your heart becomes hard toward Him, and you feel this distance, you feel this disconnection because of your behavior, or maybe you know, life just gets boring and stale for you, and you just feel, oh, I just don't know. I just don't feel your presence, God. I'm not, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been there? You ever felt like, man, I don't, God's, where are you, God? Where are you, God? And he's like, I'm in here. Hello. <laughs> to, I mean, to me, this is why it's so important to always center back on what the cross, because it shows you your value to him. And, and religion won't do that. Religion makes you feel worthless. But you're not worthless. You are worth the blood of Christ. And if that doesn't recenter you, and I'm telling you, it's time to spend a little time meditating on what he went through on the cross for you. These passages are, are just a few of them. I'm going to read in Hebrews 10 here, and we're going to read several passages here. But I'm going to give you a little bit of homework also because there are just so many out there, so many passages. Your homework is uh, use a... Um, a resource like openbible.info or, or any type of topical Bible. Some of you have the old school, uh, like Nave's topical Bible. Anybody got a Nave's topical Bible still laying around? Yeah, those are good. There's a, there's a thing called the internet that's really great as well. <laughs> but o- openbible.info, we've been talking about it a lot. You know, we, we, I appreciate that ministry that put, to, put it together. But just go, go to a resource like that and, and do a search for sacrifice of Christ, body of Christ. Now, when you do body of Christ, it's going to bring up a bunch of stuff about the church. So try to focus on the atoning work of Christ, the things that happen throughout that process. And there, there's so many. I mean, we could have you know, literally read so much of the New Testament. But I, I just picked out a few that I think set us up for. So next week, we're going to look at the burial of Christ, what happened in that period of his death on the cross, until the ascension. And to me, it's fascinating. But till next week, commercial for that. All right, here we go. Ready? Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 1. For the law is only a shadow. And, and, and again, we're not throwing away the law. We're not saying the law was bad. The law is holy. It did its job. In fact, If you read the Old Testament or even some of the teachings of Jesus and you feel like, man, I can't do this, I can't... I mean, think about this. Matthew 5, right? Both of y'all... Are you with me? I'm not saying he was wrong or you invalidate the teachings of Jesus, but we inherently know what he was doing was teaching the law at a heart level, such a high level of impossibility to where the disciples eventually came to him and they were like, well, who then can be saved? And he's like, finally, the right question. I've been preaching this stuff to a level of impossibility. Now you finally ask the right question. Who then can be saved? No one. But with God, all things are possible. And then at the end of Matthew 5, what does he say? Be holy as God is holy. I'm not saying that you throw out the words of Jesus. I'm not saying that that isn't applicable, but what I'm saying is that was him using the law to show you you can't do this. You cannot be as holy as God is. Did he say that? Did he mean it? Y'all don't want to answer at this point because I know you're in deep thinking. When you start messing with the words of Jesus, people get nervous, I get it. But think about it. Honestly, forget about all the stuff that you've been taught all along the way and just think about this. Jesus said, be as holy as God. Can you do that? 
Does he think you can do that? Did he say it? I mean, we've got to deal with this stuff. I'm, some of you are nervous. I can see it. You're nervous. Well, what, what, what does Jesus have been told you? I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just saying I get it. The mindsets that we get into. Be as holy as God. And if you don't, it's hell for you. Remember that part about the law being fulfilled in you? Praise God for that. Amen? For the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, not the realities themselves. It can never. And when Jesus says, be as holy as God, which is dependent upon your efforts and your performance, is affected by this. It can never. You can never be as holy as God. Now, why did he say it? To reveal to you that you needed him. That's what the law does. Have you ever had a police officer pull you over and give you an award for going the speed limit? (laughs) The only thing the law does is penalize when you break it. It shows you this is God's standard. And thankfully, he became it for us. He became, he, he lived the full, of the, he lived out every holy requirement of it. And then he became us to endure the penalty of breaking it. And we're covered on both ends. Read Romans 6. It can never, by the same sacrifices offered year after year, make perfect those, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would not the offerings have ceased? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt the guilt of their sins. Instead, those sacrifices are an annual reminder of your sins. That's what the law does, is it reminds you of your sin. The blood of Christ reminds you of your righteousness. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, say therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Isn't that interesting? Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. But they lived for hundreds of years under a sacrificial system. It wasn't the way God wanted to in the beginning. Go back and read how they approached him and they put Moses in the way and God had to acquiesce to the... That's, again, man, I'm telling you, there's a, worm, there's a lot of worms crawling around on the stage right now. I'm not trying to just say controversial things. I'm just trying to pull the rug out from under the concept of thinking that we, you know, our performance gets us closer to him, makes us more righteous. Should you live holy? Of course. Make every effort to avoid sin. Make every effort to yield to the presence of God and live worthy and honoring of what He's done for you. Don't you dare think that sin doesn't matter. It kills. It's just not the measurement through which God is judging you any longer. The blood of Christ is. If you can, if you can turn that corner, it's a big one. I know it's, I, I get it. But it's a big one. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you took no delight. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. In the passage above, it says, sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor did you delight in them, although they are offered according to the law, it's lawful, Then he adds, here I am, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second, and we should be eternally grateful for that because the first is, be as holy as God. The second is, in me you are holy. 10.10, and by that will, we have been, say have been, 
sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Say, I am sanctified. Now, let me just kind of touch on this a little bit. How can you possibly say that you're sanctified? I thought sanctification was progressive. It was initiated, and then I'm progressing more and more into it, and I will never be fully sanctified. You have to understand that in your spirit person, you have been perfected. You have been cleansed. That is the aspect of you that is eternal. If for whatever reason, you stopped breathing and you popped out of your body right now and that part of you that comes out of your body and moves on into eternity and is in the presence of God forever, if for whatever reason that happened to you, that part of you that comes out and moves on is who you really are right now in this moment. This flesh is temporary. The soulish place that's kind of in between your worldly existence and your eternal spiritual existence that you kind of experience and feel life and all that and all the different parts of you inwardly. That part, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard. I don't want to try to dissect all of that. But what you have to know is at your core, God removed that sin. God removed that body of flesh. If you want to look technically, go look at Colossians 2, I think it's 11. A circumcision was performed on you. In other words, he went deep inside of you and he removed the body of sin, the body of flesh. And what did he do? He put in there his own spirit. He gave you a new spirit. He gave you a new heart. And in that process, the blood of Christ, something got sanctified under the old lampstand, becomes sanctified, unless it's beauty and the beast or something, become more sanctified. They're copper type of cleansing. And we went through the cleansing of the blood of Christ. Amen? So you can boldly stand in the presence of God and say, I am sanctified. Now, you might not be living that way. Don't give yourself away. She's, she's a big girl. She, was, she lets me pick on her. It's all right. I, I'm not calling you out. I guess I did, I don't know. Let me look over here. You might not be living that way. Here, here, here's, here's what all of this eventually ends up doing. There is, if you think it's up to you to keep the law in that, and the highest standard is be as holy as God, if you think it's up to you to still live in such a way where your behavior affects your standing with God, Man, give up. But when you realize because of what he's done, square one, I am accepted with God because of what Jesus did for me. In fact, this amazing change has happened inside of me where God essentially marries himself to me. That's what he says after Isaiah 53. If you don't know, Isaiah 53 is in the Old Covenant. It's this incredible prophecy about what the coming Messiah would accomplish on the cross. Right after that is Isaiah 54. God is speaking and prophesying to Isaiah about the state of his people after the, the sacrifice of the cross. And the state of that is God of himself says, I, the Lord your maker, am your husband. The kind of union we're in with God right now, it's like a marriage. Paul even says it in Ephesians. He says the union, the, 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 the union that we have with Christ, it's like a husband and wife. In fact, a marriage between a man and a woman, because people wonder sometimes, uh, is a reflection of our union with Christ. You're not in this master-servant relationship with God. Jesus himself said it. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. That has to be how we think of ourselves. If you have any hope of living free from sin, if you have any hope of living above the power of temptation, you must know that you're a friend of God, that you are, in fact, married to him in this new covenant, 
that it's Christ who's done the work for you and you are secure in Him. Yes, you want to live worthy of that and not trample that gift underfoot, as King James says it. Of course you want to live well and worthy of that. To not, you know, it, it, if you think of it in terms of marriage, you don't want to do anything to dishonor your spouse. Do you? You don't, you don't want to disrupt that relationship. You don't want to hurt them. doesn't mean that you're not married any longer. In fact, you might do things that are grounds for that union to end. But the union is there. And it's a choice of reconciliation. God Himself has already chosen you're forgiven because of what Christ has done. It's about as simple as it gets, but I'm telling you, a lot of Christians don't realize it. A lot of Christians are still being beat up with one foot in the law and one foot in the new. Mixture. Most of what we hear is mixture. I'm not trying to say we're the perfect church and we got it all worked out. That's not my point. We just happen to focus on the gospel and always will. Because again, I am convinced that the best environment for you to live the Christian life is from the environment of knowing who you are in Him, knowing how secure your relationship is with Him, and tying that intimately to His sacrifice for you on that cross, knowing that on that, on that cross, He literally became your sin nature, and He bore the penalty of all the wrath that you deserve on that cross. Now, Sarah, prophetess Sarah, gave us the word. Think about your relationships. I'll challenge you in this way. Think about people in your life. Maybe they say they're Christians, but, you know, there's this disconnect. Do they, are they really convinced of their righteousness because of Christ? Are they really convinced of the finished work of the cross on their behalf? Or are they still feeling slightly distanced from Him, wondering what He might be doing in their lives, not knowing the security of this union that they have because of the blood of Christ, not knowing that there is no condemnation for them? Well-meaning believers from a genuine place want to live a life that's pleasing to God but don't know the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. And I, man, I, it's just in me. It is just hardwired within me to just constantly reaffirm that. Because it changes everything. It, it informs every other decision related to the Christian life that you might need to make, regardless of the situation whether it be self-imposed or somebody else that you're dealing with. Your righteousness in God through Christ informs every decision that you need to make. I, I, would, I encourage you to any, first consult who you are in Christ before you make any decision. Squarely set yourself in the face and the presence of God as accepted, secure in Him, and then make that decision. You will rise above the power of sin. You will hold this picture, this self-image of yourself in your heart that says, no, no, no. Not in my own effort, but I'm better than that. I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that in my life. And, and the more that you do that, the more that you renew your mind of who you are in Him, your desires will change. How many of you have ever dealt with a serious sin addiction and then something happens where, I'm not talking you go through some externally imposed deliverance, but in your heart and in your life, you connect with the reality of your value to Him and, and, and the desire. Anybody ever a strong Sin, nobody wants to admit to that. I don't blame you. Right here, sir. I have. 
And, and it's, it's interesting because when it happens, you recognize it and say, oh, that's don't, that desire is different. That's the power of him having become your sin and you being the righteousness of God in him is that that core level, your desires change. External, performance-centered, I'm trying to get closer to God, Christianity doesn't recognize that at your core, you're already everything that God needs you to be. That's the power that you live from, that place of who you are in Him. Is this good news? Yeah. It changes everything. It just really does. So why the blood? This is a reference back to the Levitical priesthood, Levit uh, Leviticus 17.11. Why the blood? Because this is a question. This is one of the criticisms against Christianity, you know, that God just needed to kill. And a lot of people have a, have a view of God as one of the ancient Greek mythological gods, you know, where there's child sacrifice. And, but, but this is why. For the life of the flesh, remember sin was condemned in the flesh, his flesh. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you to make atonement for your souls upon the altar, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The life is in the blood. So it's not just about God killing Christ on our behalf or killing a sacrifice. It's the blood being exchanged. There's, there's, it's probably like trying to understand the Trinity. You ever get in a debate about the Trinity with people? Just, just don't. It's just one of those concepts that's too big for our little minds to grasp, right? Just God and three persons. But the blood also, the exchanging of blood for our life, His life for our life, is what it's all about. A couple more passages, Philippians 2.5. This, this one is incredibly powerful to me as well because it's the links through which God went to to restore this relationship. Let this mind be in you, which was, all, you know, there is so much instruction in Scripture about what to think about. Actually, in the New Testament, there's more instruction about what to think about than there are specific individual behaviors addressed. There is a lot of instruction about behavior, but there's so much about what to think about, mind renewing, renewing your mind unto transformation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider uh, to be equal with God something to be grasped. Having been found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. See, anytime you read this type of idea about Christ becoming a human, think of it as if he became you. He took your place as a human. Having become obedient to death even the death of the cross, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth, which we're going to talk about next week, under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? 1 Peter 2.21, For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they heaped abuse on him, all for us, condemning sin in the flesh as part of this process. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His stripes you are healed, spirit, soul, and body. By His stripes you are healed, spirit. But that you may die to sin and live to righteousness. I'll give you a second homework assignment. In your heart and your mind, I'm dead to sin. And just, just let the Holy Spirit teach you. died to sin once for all, but that which He lives, He lives to God. So also... Consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living to God in Christ. The body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of Christ forevermore. Amen? And the more you can put on 
the concept of your identity is that eternal aspect of you, you can live from the power of that spirit, that spirit being united with God. You can live from the power of your new identity in Christ. It's not a mystical concept. It happens by the renewing of your mind unto transformation. Literally, quite literally, what you think affects who you believe that you are. It doesn't affect who you are, but it affects which power you live from. Your self-effort in this earth or the power of the Spirit of God inside of you. And so when I think about this type of concept, I think about food, right? You can eat a bunch of ding-dongs, ho-hos, and donuts, and how much strength are you going to have? Or you can eat carrots and vegetables and broccoli. <laughs> Which one are you going to have more power out of? They're, the Spirit of God is in you. Man, I'm telling you, every week I keep coming back to this. Don't you know? Don't you know that your body is the temple of God? Don't you know that the Spirit of the living God is inside of you? Don't you realize that? And it's not just for the charismatics. It's, it's for the believer. Every person that says yes to Jesus has the power of the Spirit of God inside of them. You don't have to live depressed. You don't have to live afraid. You don't have to live trapped in sin because indeed you are dead to sin but living to God in Jesus. You are dead to sin, alive to God through Christ. I mean it because I'm actually pounding this thing. Are you with me? May this be the focus of our Christianity. Not these external things that we think we need to do or slipping away or feeling like we're closer or further. Man, I'm telling you, spend massive amounts of time meditating on the reality of what happened at the cross. Meditating on the reality of Christ having become your sin so that His righteousness is a reality inside of you. It's not, your, it's not because of you. It doesn't have anything to do with anything that you did but saying yes. And you live from this place that is not your own effort, but yet you are living from this power that ultimately you shape and change how you see yourself and you live from this strength. And it conquers everything. It conquers everything. Next week, we'll see how that power that is in you, the faith of Christ that is in you, conquers death and the grave. The faith of Jesus is stronger than death. And it's in you now to live from. Amen? Let's just stand up on our feet, kind of realize this in our own hearts for just a minute. Father, it's difficult for us to grasp these spiritual concepts sometime, but I give you all the glory for the plan of salvation that is in Christ. And not just salvation, but reigning with you. Ambassadors of your kingdom, equipped with your spirit, uh, tasked with your, um, our, the responsibility that we have to go into the world and communicate this gospel to people. You know, and if this is true for you, this prayer that I'm about to say, just, just be willing to let that grace rise up inside of you to be bold, to tell people about what Christ did. Father, we yield to you. We yield to your spirit to be strengthened and empowered by you, to not just rejoice in the freedom that we have in Christ, but also to be led by you to be an example to others. We want to live worthy of this salvation, this free gift of righteousness that you've given us. We don't at all want to dishonor that. And we want to show people how good you truly are. Father, thank you for the opportunities to be led into other people's lives. And I will open my mouth in those moments and communicate how much you love people and explain to them what you accomplished in that cross. Jesus, we thank you so much for being obedient to the death of the cross. 
I'm just thinking about you in that garden before you allowed yourself to be arrested, Jesus, and you prayed three times, let this cup pass for me. Struggling, knowing that you were about to pay for my sin, yet you humbled yourself to the death of the cross, and you said, not my will, but the will of the Father be done. Thank you. Thank you for that obedience for me. I take it personally. And as I feel like you've revealed to me before, you would have done it just for me. Jesus, thank you so much. We give you all the glory and honor, full credit for salvation. And I want to live in it. I want to live in the power of what you've done. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I just want to extend that opportunity if there's anybody in the room and you've never said yes to him or you're watching online and you want to today, just lift up your hand. Just wave at me. I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front until after we dismiss. And there may be somebody online. If you're watching online, we have a video that will come up right after this that will walk you through that process and a link to communicate with us. But if that's a decision that you didn't want to raise your hand, but you do want to communicate that today, come up and speak with Glenn or Bob up here. We have a gift for you. And I just want you to know when you say yes, his spirit resides in you forevermore. And it comes with some pretty cool capabilities, <laughs> which we will talk about in Equip in the next coming weeks. Man, I just kind of want to sit here and just meditate on that for just a minute. I, I don't ever want to get away from, from being able to be moved by the work of the cross. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. Father, from that place, we unite as believers. Father, thank you that your blessing is in this room. Thank you that your blessing is on everyone's life in this place. Whether they give or not, your blessing is in them. Father, thank you that those who are giving today, that your generosity rises up inside of them, and it's a, it's a joyful process and a joyful experience. It's a response to what you've done on our behalf, and we show our appreciation and our gratitude with our finances, giving toward the work of the ministry so that this gospel continues to go forward. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in you. And as we approach Easter, uh, thank you that the boldness rises up inside of us to bring people to church 